Friends, when we worship the Lord with no gimmicks, with no, uh, with no trickery, something special happens. When we're able to worship Christ and His work on our behalf, something special happens. And this is what we're looking for. We're looking for genuine and true worship that is centered on the person and the work of Christ. We're making our way through Colossians. And today our text is Colossians 1, verses 24 through chapter 2, verse 5. This is the word of the Lord. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy, that He powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. In the early 20th century, British explorer Ernest Shackleton was seeking to put a team together to explore the South Pole. He placed a newspaper ad that read like this. Men wanted for hazardous journey, long wages, low wages, bitter cold, Long hours of complete darkness. Safe return, doubtful. Honor and recognition in event of success. Shackleton was able to assemble a crew and was successful at exploring the South Pole. And the parallels with Christian ministry are many. Have you ever ever asked yourself the question, why am I a Christian? Would it be easier if I weren't? Is it worth it? Perhaps you're not a Christian and you're here with us today 
And you may be waiting for me to make a great, compelling argument for you to become one. Perhaps what you're looking for is an easier life. Perhaps you long for your problems to go away. Perhaps you're looking for a Christianity that looks more like a genie in a bottle. And you could use some of that in your life. Friends, I have no such a thing to offer. The Christian life and the Christian ministry promises two things. A cross to bear and a Savior to follow. Christianity is not an invitation to an easy life. Christianity is an invitation to a purposeful life. If what you're looking for is easy, Christianity is not for you. But if what you're looking for is purpose, this is the very life you're looking for. Just yesterday, we were gathered in this place for a memorial service of two saints, Ray and Ruby Gates. And if they could say one thing to us this morning, it would be, yes, it was worth it. So here's my main point today as we consider this passage. Christian ministry is not easy, but it's worth it. Christian ministry is not easy, but it's worth it. As we look at the passage, we're going to, we're going to look at four aspects of Paul's ministry, and we're going to learn from them. But remember that Paul calls us to be imitators of him as he imitates Christ. So as we're observing Paul's life and Paul's ministry, we can learn too about our call to ministry. So in chapter 1, verses 24 through 27, we're going to consider sacrifice. In chapter 1, verses 28 through 29, we're going to consider proclamation. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we're going to consider encouragement. And in chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, we're going to consider protection. So, suffering. Now, perhaps you were puzzled by the words of verse 24. Paul says two shocking things. First, he says that he rejoices in his suffering. And this is a common theme in Paul's ministry and in Paul's writings. Suffering for the Christian goes with joy. Why? Because according to Paul, suffering has a purpose. So in order for us to live the purposeful Christian life, we need to look at suffering not as the world sees it, but as the Bible teaches us. We look after the life of our Savior, who says, if it is at all possible, may this cup pass from me, but it is not my will that should be done. It is the will of the Father. What is the purpose that Paul sees right here in this passage? Now, look back at verse 24. And this is Paul's second shocking statement in this verse. So first he says, I rejoice in my sufferings because it is through my sufferings that I am filling up his, in his flesh, Paul is, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now you may be asking, Pastor Lucas, how are you going to justify this statement? Well, keep reading, right? Let's look at what the context is saying. Is Paul saying here 
that Jesus' sacrifice was not enough? Were we unbiblically singing just now, Jesus paid it all? Paul is saying that there is something lacking in, in Christ's afflictions. What could that possibly be? Is Jesus' sacrifice not enough? We know Jesus' sacrifice is enough, don't we? How do we know that? Well, we know that from, from the broad context of Scripture. The author of the letter to the Hebrews says, He sacrificed for our sins once and for all when He offered Himself. On the cross, Jesus cried, It is finished, and He meant it. But also broader in the context of Paul's own writings. In, in, Col in Colossians 2.13, we're going to see this, this passage soon. Paul says, And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Titus 2.14, Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. So clearly, the overall teaching of Scripture and the teaching of Paul affirms that Jesus' sacrifice is enough. And this is the principle of biblical interpretation. When we come to a text and we're not exactly sure what that text is saying, we look broadly. What are some clearer texts that can shed light in this more obscure text? And now the Bible is interpreting the Bible. So what does Paul mean here, if he cannot possibly mean that Jesus' sacrifice is not enough, what does Paul mean in verse 25, in verse 24? And I think verse 25 actually interprets verse 24. Look at verse 25. Paul says that he became a minister of the church, or better, better said, a servant, specifically a deacon, according to the stewardship of God. And this stewardship was given to him for you, the church. Southerners might translate this verse with the beautiful and useful y'all, right? The you here is plural. The you here is not specifically to one individual. Because every time one individual comes to Christ, their sins are forgiven once and for all. But Paul's ministry is to reach the church until the fullness of the church has come in. Yet, in Romans 11, we hear that the fullness of the Gentiles and the fullness of the Jews have not yet come in. So there are many for whom Christ died there are many for whom Christ suffered that have not received the benefits from Christ's sacrifice. So how does Paul fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? He does so by expanding the gospel ministry. He does so by proclaiming the gospel to those who are to hear and believe. He does so by calling those that belong to God to faith. 
So here's my conclusion about this obscure passage. Jesus died and presented a complete sacrifice. We have to start from there. But not all that will benefit from his afflictions have come to fully know his word. Right? We saw that in verse 25. So Paul's ministry is to fill that which is lacking in Christ's affliction, namely to make the word of God fully known to those who don't yet know it. The job of filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction is the mission of the church, to go after the lost, locally or abroad. Neighbors, family members, we share the gospel because every time someone hears it and comes to faith, the sacrifice of Christ is applied to that person. This is one way that theologians have historically uh, thought of, of this process. Salvation was promised from eternity past by the Father, accomplished once and for all by the Son on the cross. And it is being applied, progressively applied, to the believers today through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And it is this ministry of regeneration that is being completed today. Now in verse 26, we see that Paul's ministry is primarily towards the Gentiles. Although Paul often visited the synagogue first, but then got kicked out, and the word got around town, and he would reach the Gentiles. His mission was to make the word of God known to them, and this has been a mystery. It was not clear from the Old Testament that God was working to bring to himself, yes, the people of Israel, but also all nations. Now we see some hints of that in the Old Testament, but what Paul is saying is that now, now this is fully known. And his mission is to make God's purpose of saving the whole world known. Mystery for Paul does not refer to something that is partially hidden. Or perhaps when you hear the word mystery, you think of murder mystery, crime. No, mystery for Paul means a truth that was once concealed but now is revealed. And this truth was, pre was present for ages and generations, which is another way of saying forever. That has been the forever plan of God. God has always purposed to save the whole world without distinction. God has always purposed to bring all peoples to Him, to worship Him. God makes this promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, now this is a cryptic promise, right? Because the question is, 
How will this then happen? Israel interacts with nations, and we do see that, right? Nations being blessed as they bless Israel. Nations being cursed as they curse Israel. But ultimately, Israel, Israel itself needs a Savior. So how can Israel be the Savior of the whole world? You can't. Except for through its representative. Through that person who completely fulfills the calling, the role of Israel. Jesus Christ, the true Israel. Jesus Christ, the faithful remnant. And Paul tells us that in Galatians 3.29. He says, And if you are Christ's, if you belong to Christ, if you find yourself united with Christ, if you find yourself in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Which promise? This promise from Genesis 12. That all who would come and be united to the seed of Abraham, who is Christ, would then receive the promise likewise. And this is why in verse 27, Paul says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Friends, we live in a world that, that wants to appeal to us so that we can place our hope in things. The, the world wants us to, to place our hope in our bank accounts, to place our hope in our family structures. The world wants us to place our hope in government. The world wants us to place our hope in expert opinions. But all of those things, right, if this past two years have proved anything to us, it, it is that all of those things ultimately do not deliver hope. Ultimately, ultimately, nothing gives us eternal hope. The hope of glory is that Christ is in us. And this promise has been made to everyone. The point that Paul is making here is that Jews and Gentiles alike, that means the whole world, can come to Christ and find in Him a hope that transcends disease, destruction, distress, and even death. Do you walk around with a burden and heavy heart? Do you walk around not sure of what your future will look like? Do you, do you fear death? Does it plague you? Does it haunt you? Does it, does it cause you to go through sleepless nights? Does your future concern you? Friends, if it does, it's because you lack hope. But this passage is telling you where hope is found. Hope is found on the man that tells him, your sins are paid for. If you simply come to me in faith, Confess your sins. Stop trying to find your hope. Stop trying to find your assurance in anything that is not me. Bank accounts run out of money. Families move away. Jobs one day come to an end. Nations rise and fall. But Christ is the Christ forever. And He will forever be 
the Christ. Friends, your only hope in life and in death is that you belong to Christ. So have you come to Him? Have, have you confessed your sins? Have you recognized you've sinned against holy God and the consequences of sinning against holy God, eternally holy God, is eternal punishment in hell? Have you come to Him to find hope? Friends, the sacrifice that Christ presents lacks nothing for everyone that will come to Him. Come to Him today is the day of salvation. You know, sometimes I worry. Uh, sometimes I worry that I think people that are coming, that are new, they may hear this message and say, I need that. But sometimes I worry that people like myself, who have been at a church for nearly four decades, will just brush off this message. And will overlook the fact that we really need faith in Christ. We really need to be united with Christ. Friends, friends, that will be those that will stand before the throne of God and will say, Lord, Lord, look at all the things that I did on your behalf, in your name. And the Lord will say to them, away from me, I've never known you. Friends, let us not let our church experience keep us from examining our hearts so that we can know that we belong to Christ. May today be a day of hope for those that walked into this place for the first time and for those that have walked into this place week after week for decades. Christ is our only hope. And this hope is not a hope that comes void of suffering. This hope is not a hope that comes void of hardship. The invitation is come to Christ and carry your cross. Look to eternity because in eternity your cross will be redeemed. But in this life, we suffer. In this life, we're Christians who suffer just as your, our Lord suffered. Paul was from the beginning appointed to suffer. At the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, he says that his life is being poured out as a drink, drink offering. But friends, this is not unique of Paul. This is true of you and I as well. In 2 Timothy, Paul's last word to the church, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not some, not many, all. A mark of a genuine Christian life is the rejection of the world. Sometimes the rejection of family. Sometimes the rejection of loved ones. Sometimes being fired from a job. Sometimes missing an opportunity. Persecution is here. It is here today. Perhaps not as grave as in some other parts of the world, but it's here today. I must be honest, I don't think most Christians in the Western world associate suffering and persecution with joy or perhaps even with a Christian life. I think we tend to feel angry when we're persecuted, when we suffer. We tend to fight for vindication. We often say things we should never say. Make comments we should never make in social media because we don't know how to suffer well. Friends, when we suffer well, we enhance the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. When we suffer well, we demonstrate that we have the hope of glory in us. When we suffer well, we can point others to the suffering 
servant who took on the cross in our behalf. So, can we start welcoming suffering in our lives as a gift from God? Can we realize that the kingdom of God often advances through suffering? Can we truly say that it matters not that we grow, but that Christ grows? And if our suffering means greater glory for Christ, then, Lord, let me be acquainted with suffering as your Son is acquainted with suffering. The time to prepare for suffering is right now. It is hard to, pre to prepare for suffering when you're suffering. So friends, the call to prepare for suffering is now when we look to the cross and we find our hope in Christ. But not only that, Paul also highlights proclamation as a, part, as a major part of his ministry to the church. Now we just saw that Paul said that Christ in us is our hope of glory. Now in verse 28, Paul says, Him we proclaim. The heart of Paul's ministry is the proclamation of Christ. Him we proclaim. That is why he tells the Corinthians, but we preach Christ crucified. So Paul is saying, here is the theme of my message. Christ crucified. So Christian preaching is Christ-centered preaching. I am waiting for the day that someone says to me, Pastor Lucas, you preach Christ too much. So I can say, thank you for the compliment. That is what this pulpit must be filled with, the proclamation of Christ. But Christian preaching is also balanced. It uses both the carrot and the stick. Look back at verse 28. Paul warns, but he also teaches the negative aspect and the positive aspect. That is... Wise. Friends, from this pulpit, you will hear correction. From this pulpit, the Word of God will step on your toes and on mine. Because God is interested in growth. God is interested in Christ-likeness. God is not interested ultimately in comfort. He wants us to shape our lives before the image of Christ from the day we profess Him as Lord to the day we die. So when you hear warnings and corrections from this pulpit, I want you to know this. I need to hear that. I need to be corrected by the Word of God. And so do you. And I intend to do that with love and kindness and humility, understanding that there is one Lord over all of us who is Jesus Christ, and He is the perfect one. But we must hear from His Word truthfully. We live in a day and age where the truth is often rejected. But it shall not be from this pulpit. And it shall not be from the ministry of this church. But we also encourage. And, and I want you to be encouraged. We have loved to know you. And we have loved to see the ministry of the gospel in your life in this past four or five weeks that we've been here. Christian preaching is also goal-oriented. Friends, the goal of gospel proclamation is Christian maturity. Paul wants to present everyone perfect. That's what he literally means. Perfect, mature, 
unto Christ. Do you want to grow spiritually? You must hear the Word of God proclaimed. You must be in our gatherings. And we understand that there are some who cannot be here, and we love you. If you're watching our service through, through our streaming services, we love you and we're praying for you. And we understand, and may the Lord bless you. And, and, and may the Lord feed you through this. But if you are at all able to be here under the preaching of the Word, you should be here because it is the proclamation of Christ that brings about maturity. It is the proclamation of Christ that renders perfection. as a goal. It's a goal, right? Perfection for the Christians. But not only must you hear the proclamation, you must engage in the preaching. When, when, when the Word of God is preached, there are two parties. There is the one proclaiming, and then there is the one receiving. And receiving is an active part of the worship service. Ultimately, this is an element of worship. Do you view the preaching of the Word as an opportunity to worship God in your minds? Yes, sometimes responding with a an, with an well-placed amen, perhaps. But also, but also examining your life and transforming it as you hear the Word of Christ. You must hear of this Christ, the crucified, in order to grow in maturity. Paul goes on to say in verse 29 that he toils and struggles. Christian ministry will demand of your time. Christian ministry will demand of your finances. Christian ministry will demand of your comfort. Lest you're able to look at those around you and say, I am following Christ and I count all else as lost. You will not fully understand what Paul means by toil and struggles. But notice what he says. This is puzzling. Paul says that he toils and struggles with his energy. Paul toils, toils and struggles with the energy that Christ supplies. The energy that is at work within him. Now, you know, my, my son Boaz has been walking around with this little dragon that he got last time we came to Saints Alive. For some reason, somebody bought a little toy dragon to Saints Alive, and nobody really wanted the toy, dry, the toy in the gift exchange. So my son ended up with the dragon. Now, that dragon uh, needs to be run uh, with batteries. Uh, and me, the great dad that I am, uh, have not made my time to find my little Phillips screwdriver to open up that, that, that dragon and put batteries in it. So, so here is my son walking around with a toy that does not fulfill its purpose. Sorry, I need to do better being a good dad. I think I do okay in some areas. But that's what Christian ministry is when we don't do it with the energy that he supplies. We're like toys that require batteries, but don't have them. We are trying to do something in our own energy, and then we find ourselves 
burnt out. We find ourselves frustrated, angry. We find that our relationships begin falling by the wayside. We, We find ourselves disappointed with church. We find ourselves with little motivation to pursue the Lord. We find ourselves with little motivation to read His Word and pray. Why? Because we seek to do Christian ministry very often with the energy that we supply. But friends, it is the Spirit that empowers us. You know, my my first week here in the office, I was looking at so many things, and I was thinking, Lord, this is beyond me. This This is way beyond my abilities. And... I was alone in the office, and I closed the door, and I knelt in my office, and I prayed, and I sang. And and the Lord just gave me such peace. The Lord gave me such strength in that moment. And I thought, Lord, you're so good. I am so right. This is so beyond me. This task... I can't do it, but you can. You are able to. Lord, you are able to bring these people to you in maturity. You love these people. You care for them. You gave your son for them. Lord, this is so beyond me, but it's not beyond you. And friends, if you see me worn out, if you see me discouraged, remind me, Lucas, you need to go to your office and you need to pray. And you need to sing gospel-rich songs. Because you need to be reminded that you need to toil with the energy that He supplies. Friends, that is true of you as well. Uh, The call here is for this church to be an army ministering to one another. And we can't do this if the supply is from within us. We can't do this if we seek to do it in our own strength. So, so can we be a church that often runs to our knees and prays and sings unto the Lord and says, Lord, I'm going to sing until I'm filled. I'm going to pray until I know your spirit is within me, until I know that the power that I'm working with is the power that you supply. This is Christian ministry. This is the ministry of this church. This is how we're going to move forward. Friends, pray. Seek the Lord. And the Lord will do wonderful things in this church. Paul's agonizing struggle is clear in ministry, even towards churches that he never met. But we're not sure what Paul's struggle really is. But we know why he is encouraged. He is encouraged because God is at work. One way, friends, that you can help us work in this very church is a a ministry that we have in this church called Oasis. It's reaching women that don't know the Lord and women who know the Lord. We really need to be in prayer for this ministry. We need this ministry to be supported. So can I encourage you to be praying for this ministry? And we have practical needs that that can be met in this ministry. At the end of the service, we're going to be standing in the back, uh, Christina, who leads this ministry, and myself, and we would love to talk to you if in any way you could help us with the ministry of Oasis in this church. 
We, we want to reach the lost. We want to feel that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So, so let's look for opportunities to do that. Now, let me take the application of the te- this text to a different place. Okay? If Paul's goal is to present everyone mature at the end, okay, this means that churches are made up of people who are not yet mature. Right? That's true of you and that's true of me. So we should always have a fair amount of patience with one another, shouldn't we? Does it make sense? If lack of maturity is true of all of us, it should drive us to foster an environment of grace at our church. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3. Bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also may forgive. This is the environment that our church needs to foster. Grace. Oh, you didn't act in a mature way? I knew that was going to happen. Let me help you. Let me come alongside you. This must characterize our church. This, friends, is the ministry of encouragement. We're going to turn to that now in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So Paul also encourages. Look at verse 1 in chapter 2. For a second time in this passage, Paul uses the word struggle. The original word here is agonizomai. Now you can hear the word agony here, right? Paul is comparing Christian ministry to that which is agonizing. Now, now, he, what he means here is it requires much from us. It requires full dedication from us. Now, most of us, when we think of Christian ministry, we don't think of an agonizing struggle, do we? But it is exactly Paul's view of Christian ministry. We must pour out our lives empty in this. The service of the Lord Jesus Christ must consume every second of our times, every dime of our wallets, and every neuron in our brains. We often think that we come into the church the same way people come into cruise ships, for fun. And yet, the church is at war. And it is a very unwise thing to send cruise ships to war. It is unsafe. We must find our places in a battleship. That's where we are. A battleship where fellowship flourishes, but a battleship nonetheless. Paul, though, is encouraged. And encouragement is necessary for the Christian walk. He wants them to be encouraged. No one is confident enough to never need encouragement. Indy and I were talking just yesterday, and we said to each other, we are so encouraged with Central Baptist Church. As far as we can tell, every interaction that we've had with all of the members of this church has shown us God's grace in their lives. We were thinking, and we're just, yes, different people in different levels of maturity, but everyone experiencing the the grace of God. 
So, friends, Paul wants the Colossians to be encouraged. I want, to be, I want you to be encouraged. God is at work in your life. And that is great. God is at work in this church. And that is great. Paul's encouragement comes in two parts. One, he encouraged, he's encouraged and encourages them to be in unity. Paul says, being knit together in love. Sacrificial, Christ, uh, sacrificial Christian ministry knits lives together. Have you ever seen the, the uh, meme on, on the internet of the, the parents that have the, the love shirt? It's a big shirt, and when their kids are fighting with each other, they put both kids in the same shirt, and they have to kind of get along, right? That's kind of the picture here, right? We need to get along. Why? Because we're knit together. We're knit together with one another. Our lives are, are, are interlaced with one another. Genuine love happens when gospel-centered, life-on-life ministry happens. A church that works together for Christ remains together in Christ. So really, what Paul is saying here is that we find encouragement in assurance, knowing our position in Christ. Often I meet people who struggle with assurance of salvation. And more often than not, almost always, I come to realize that their struggle with assurance of salvation happens because they're looking in for assurance. They're looking at their own personal spiritual disciplines for assurance. They're, they're trying to discern whether they are Christ's by measuring how often they go to church, how much of their Bible they read, how much prayer is involved in their Christian life. Friends, although those things are important and they need to be in our lives, our first reaction must be not to look in, but to look up. We look to Christ and we ask the question, did Jesus pay it all? And if the answer is yes, and if you're trusting in Him, be at peace, rest. God is not mad at you. God loves you, and He wants to spend eternity with you. Scottish minister Rod, uh, Robert Machini, right, the famous uh, Bible reading in a year plan guy, once said, for every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. Perhaps he should have said a hundred. But the idea is, yes, we should examine our works, but in light of Christ's finished work. There are no works you have ever done that God will accept as righteousness at the end. The only righteousness that counts for God is the alien righteousness Jesus gives you. So when you struggle with your faith, look to Christ. Finally, we're going to consider Paul's protection in his ministry. For the first time in Colossians, we meet the false teachers. We meet them indirectly. Right? So there is, a, there is a method of interpretation here that, theological, that theologians call mirroring. So it's like we're seeing one side of the mirror, but we can't see the other. Paul never directly interacts with the false teachers, but he instructs the Colossians on how not to fall prey to the false teachers. So the weeks ahead, there's going to be a lot of 
mirroring going on. We're going to try to figure out what Paul is defending the Colossians from. I won't spend too much time on this, on the false teachers today, because we will spend much time on them in the weeks ahead. But we can know a few things about them. Look at verse 4. They're trying to delude the Colossians. They're, they're, they're trying to mix up their logic. That's what that literally means. With plausible arguments. For Paul, the Colossians were fine in their walk. But some false teachers were trying to confusing, confuse them by making arguments that on the surface sounded right, but in essence were flawed. The false teachers were basically arguing that faith in Jesus was simply not enough. And friends, every false teaching stems from this. The affirmation that Jesus' work is not enough It is not enough to come to Christ in faith. We must add works. Now, there are two kinds of religions in the world. There are the religions of the world that keep repeating to you, do, do, do. And then there is biblical Christianity that says, done. Nothing left to do. Enjoy your Savior. Live your life for Him. Paul says that the Colossians were threatened by wolves in sheep's clothing. Friends, the job of a minister is to comfort the sheep with his voice. But with the same voice, the shepherd ought to confront the wolf. We must not be gullible or naive thinking that Satan does not hate this church, thinking that Satan will not use false teachers to disseminate doctrines that could lead us astray. We must be watchful. We must know the gospel And we must hold to the gospel. Now look at verse 5. For though I am absent in the body, Paul wasn't with them, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So the Colossians were doing good. Paul uses here military language. Good order, firmness. The Colossians understood that this is war. Christian life and Christian ministry is war. He rejoices, but he rejoices because they are fighting. He's not rejoicing because they're idle. They view Christian ministry as a war that is being waged. They're ready. Why? Because of their faith in Christ. Because they believe the gospel. Friends, some churches seek to motivate their members to serve through fear and guilt. Others by being cool and hip. Others through tribalism. But none of these things 
are good enough or adequate for us today. At Central Baptist Church, our motivation is the gospel. The, the call that I place before you today is serve the Lord because of the gospel. If Christ died for you, live for him. Our services are not designed to entertain. Our ministries are not designed to attract. We're interested in eternal matters. We're not looking for a packed auditorium or a cutting-edge service style. My desire, what keeps me up at night, is the fact that I want you to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I was asked by a fellow pastor this week, what is, the greatest need, what is the greatest need that Central Baptist Church has today? And I said to him, Central Baptist Church needs to know that Christ is King. All the other things will fall into place if we know that. All our programs, all our finances, all our membership matters, all other things will fall into place if we all know that Christ is King. So we march on towards Him. God is asking you to give up your life for the sake of the ministry. So don't give up your life for any other reason. Only give up your life because of Christ. Only give up your life because of the gospel. Only give up your life because Christ is King. Believe the gospel and proclaim the gospel, the message that reconciles sinners with the Holy God. Friends, Christian ministry is not easy, but Christian ministry is worth it because the gospel is worth it. Would you pray with me? Father, how we need to know today that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, would you impress that in our hearts? Lord, would you motivate us to give up our lives for the sake of Christ? Would you motivate us, Father, to live on a mission? Let us not be confused. This is war. It is being waged right now. And Satan would love to win souls for his dreadful army. But you're calling us to rescue those very souls. Use us powerfully through pain and suffering and joy. But use us for the glory of your name. We pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.